Thanks for listening to The Rest is Politics. Sign up to The Rest is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members' chat room and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. That's therestispolitics.com. Welcome to The Rest is Politics Question Time with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell. And it's rather nice. It's another in-person, unusual in-person thing. I, I can report from the front line that Alistair is wearing a rather kind of fat, fetching sort of down waistcoat. Not a waistcoat. It's a, it's a body warmer. What do you call it? A gilet? No, it's a body warmer, isn't it? I think it's a body warmer. Yeah, if it's in French, it'd be a gilet, but it's a body warmer. And body warmer it's right. a padded body warmer. You've got to remember, Rory, that I have, was in... Very, very, very cold water. Not long ago. You literally went in with the snow, didn't you? Three degrees, yeah. It was fantastic. I came out. With... Is, there, is there a temperature where it actually gets dangerous to do that, where your heart stops? When I jump in when it's really, really cold, because I'm used to it, I do sometimes think about if I wasn't used to this, you would panic because the shock, you, it's, you feel like you're being stabbed. I know it sounds crazy that you'd want to do it, but and it's like it, when it, when that feeling stops, it's quite nice. But that's when it's quite dangerous. So I only stayed in for I stayed in for six and a half minutes this morning. Right, um, but yeah, no, but it, it definitely can. wakes you up. Oh, you feel great afterwards. Yeah, yeah, but cold, but cold. Is there a hot <laughs> shower when you get out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very should, good. Okay. Do you have a reader's question? Yeah, go on then. <laughs> Alistair Gaylor, Germany. What do you guys think would have happened if the German coup had been successful? And what does it tell us about how strong advanced democratic countries actually are? So this is a German coup. Tell us a bit about the German coup. Well, a German attempted coup. On the one hand, I look at these people with their ridiculous names, Prince Heinrich the 13th from Rice <laughs> and somebody double barrel, double barrel, double barrel the third and all these, and then some ex-commando guy. And, and I think this is just absurd. But then you think, well, in 11 of the 16 lender, more than 3,000 police officers involved in simultaneous raids. There must have been something really quite serious. Well, there's something take- very weird, isn't it? They claim they raided over 150 properties, but they've only arrested 20 people. There seems to be a bit of discrepancy. Well, so far, they've arrested 23 people. I think they were searching for, they were searching for weapons, which they found. Right. Uh, they were obviously searching for documentation, which they found as well. Um, but there is, it, it's not that long ago. I think the thing that worried me was that I think was it Ursula von der Leyen who was still defence secretary um, when there was a, a part of the special forces that were shown to have very very strong hard right links, um, and, one, and one part one branch of it has been shut down because they felt the whole thing had been infiltrated by the far right. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? And, and this is all so the, the centre of this seems to have been Thuringia, uh, part of it Thuringen, Thuringen, which was a uh, part of East Germany, and and this. Very, very peculiar man. His family, I mean, he's actually a quite, I, he's more of a big deal in Germany than, than maybe people are reporting. Because on the one hand, his territory was tiny. His ancestors ruled a state, which was about 300 square miles, which is considerably smaller than Cumbria or Cornwall. Um, <laughs> but when I was going to Germany in the, I guess, early 90s, lots of people talked about him. They're a very famous family because of this stupid Henry thing, which is that the Holy Roman Emperor in the 12th century, Henry, gave them their land. And ever since then, every single one of them has to be called Henry. And more recently, Prince Henry. And they number from the beginning of the century and then start again. So he's genuinely the 13th in that line? He's not in the line. So he's in the 13th Henry this century from that family. But his father wasn't called the 13th. His father was called something like the 4th or the 5th. Another one of them, another one of the Prince Henrys of Royce, is married to an Abba singer. 
or was married to an ABBA singer. What? Yeah, that's why she's a princess. Yeah. So, so I thought this, this was important for you. So I, I, mean, I don't know much about ABBA, but I've been, been trying to get into this. Well, I know a lot about ABBA. Anna Fried was married to his cousin, who was another Prince Heinrich. To Heinrich's cousin? Yeah. The one with the, the Czech coat, another, with the, the, exactly. the another, Tory hunting another, coat. Another Prince Heinrich, yeah. They're all called Prince Heinrich because they all have to be called Heinrich, regardless of which number they are. Every child has to be called Heinrich. This is feeling a bit cultist. <laughs> it's a kind of weird, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Well, what about the, the other name that, that, stru- that stood out to me was Rudiger von Pescatore, oh, very which good. sounds like a sort of exotic dish that you would have somewhere. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? It's quite difficult to take it seriously with all this stuff going it on. It is, but that's what I say. that they, they But they're, they're very into this whole sort of – they're, they're anti-vaxxers, um, they keep getting parking fines and, and, and uh, speeding offences because they, they refuse to acknowledge things like dry, German federal driving well, they, licenses. They believe the German state, if I'm right, is a corporation. They refuse to call it a nation. It was set up by the Allies after the Second World War to basically become a kind of a, a, a big retail centre for American. That's Americans right. It's like a sort of massive McDonald's. Yeah, exactly. So they, so they, kept so they don't recognise it. So, so the centre of their revolution was a little town of six, 7,000 people but that size of Creef, where I come from in Scotland, where they were trying to convince everybody to sign up for the nation of Royce, which is this little princely state. And, and it, apparently it was really weird because it's a tiny 7,000 people. So the local grocer would be like, did you get that note through your door saying you've got to sign up? To be a... <laughs> and, and, but is it, but in the, if they're just a bunch of cranks, though, you would not have 3,500 policemen, police no. officers put on duty to go and get these guys, would you? Because I think the far right in Germany is, you know, we see them occasionally in sort of football hooliganism. But, you know, last year, there were 55,000 politically motivated crimes in Germany. Um, and 40, 40 odd percent of those were seen as crimes of the hard right. Right. So that's quite a lot. 38% neither right nor left. I don't, I don't yeah. really know what that yeah. means. Yeah. And this link into parts of the the military and parts of the 38 percent of them were aggressive centrists <laughs> <laughs> well i'm a bit of an exa- aggressive centrist yeah, myself be, Roy, as I you know you, i think, careful, I think we need Germany, a bit you might find yourself in trouble yeah. yeah right here we are subod kafle please can you cover the madness that's going on in peru in the first round castillo got 18 percent of the vote while fujimori got 13 percent of the vote how mad that peruvians ended up having to pick between the two uh, and of course now we've had castillo the winner uh, gone. Uh, in, in, I think he's now in a jail. Yeah, he tried to do his own self coup d'état. He it's did a, an he amazing did. thing. So he was the president, and he suddenly decided he was going to try to dissolve effectively the sort of parliament, and it all went wrong. I mean, so there was a total stand of Castillo is an extreme left wing populist, pretty poor background, very very simple rural teacher, came up on the trade union movement. Seized power, found, not seized power, was elected in power, but this very narrow margin, as our question pointed out, found himself for the right wing parliament that he was dealing with. Finally, after they tried to impeach him two or three times, he tried to shut them down. So complete constitutional coup, like Trumpian beyond imagining. And he's now been toppled, as you say, thrown in jail. Well, the cabinet, his, di- his cabinet didn't back him, the police didn't back him, the military didn't back him. It was, it was not a very good coup. No. Um, he's and- a rather sort of unfortunate figure. I mean, when you look at him, he does always look a bit hopeless. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's now in this, in this jail that was built for his predecessor, who's also – see, they're, they're now just the two of them in this <laughs> – these two former presidents in a jail together – um, and, and meanwhile, Dina Boluerta is the uh, his successor. And, and when you, so is this and there's the trouble jail, on the streets already. Is this the jail where Fujimori was also yeah, held? Yeah, right? yeah. 
So, I mean, it is also very interesting how much Latin American politics has changed quite quickly, because obviously Fujimori was very much part of the right. And when you were dealing with these these governments, Latin America, through the late 90s, they were dominated by these very kind of big finance ministers Mm. who are very kind of orthodox, Washington consensus, balance the budgets, Mm. export, foreign investment, hanging out with Gordon Brown at Davos. Mm. And now so many of these countries have gone to a form of populist Absolutely, left. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But I tell you, I listen, uh, the, the, uh, my, my good friend Moises Naim, the three Ps man. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I listened to, he was on a podcast the other day about uh, Latin America. And where's he from again? He's from Venezuela. Venezuela, right. And he said, yes, there's lots of really bad stuff going on in Venezuela. But he, he said that in Guyana, Dominant Republic and Panama, <laughs> things are a lot better and he's <laughs> and he's and the ones. guy who was interviewing him said yeah but and and the other ones he mentioned were costa rica and uruguay <laughs> there are success stories in latin america <laughs> they said. meanwhile chile mexico okay, right, Rory, you'll go. brazil yeah okay yes question for you hugh ramson i worry too much emphasis is put on what happens on twitter i personally take no issue with a politician who has no active presence on twitter and I don't believe their activity on such a platform makes any meaningful difference for their constituents or real life. Mm-hmm. And this was David Cameron's view back in the day. It's like mm-hmm. people who go on Twitter are twats. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's something in it. I think, look, funny if I did, um, after I saw Marina Litvinenko yesterday, I was interviewed by Brian Moore, the former rugby player, because as part of his degree course, he's doing a big thing on social media. And we were talking about, you know, the question was, why do I use Twitter? Okay. Um, and I don't, I've actually, because of the Elon Musk thing, I've been sort of thinking, would my life really change that much if I wasn't on Twitter? Because I do find Musk pretty repellent, I must be honest. I, I don't well, his like stuff the, about prosecute Fauci was extraordinary. Oh, and he's, he did, there's the whole sort of attention-seeking nature of himself. And he talks absolute crap a lot of the time. So I was thinking about, and, and, and I've, I've definitely been engaging a lot less on Twitter. I've not been looking at Twitter as much. I tweet, so... I'll probably promote tonight the Albert Hall thing. I'll probably do, do your a, tree of the day. I always will do my tree of the day, but I could easily migrate that to somewhere else. Tree of the day can move to somewhere else. Yeah. Oh. So um, you know that would be a pity with tree of the day. So I don't. I I think the, the that question has got a point. Twitter's a weird thing, isn't it? I so David Baddiel has been off Twitter for a, a month. Great comedian, and he was saying how wonderful it was. He it's not got, coming home though, is it? Got back, got covered. Not coming home. Football's not coming home. Got a couple of couple of hours back in his life. But then he said, actually, there's also something that he really enjoys about it. And I do love it. I really love it. You, you spend way too much time. I've been having some very happy conversations about Neolithic archaeology recently. And I don't know where else I'd have those conversations. Certainly not with you. You don't want to talk to me about Neolithic I'd love archaeology. To. I'd, I'd love to. Talk. Well, listen, here's one on Twitter, Rory. Does it show, says Erica Neustadt, does it show concern for the ever-deepening climate emergency to fly yourself and your family to Doha to watch football? It's a good, it's a good challenge. It's a very, very good challenge. I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I think I live next you don't to Doha. I, no, I don't care. I care. Live next to Doha. And I guess, um, you know, it's not like flying from Britain. So I'm flying from Amman to Doha. And I thought it would be a nice thing for little boys to see some football. Mm, that's fair. Okay. So Rory, Olivia Bright, remembering your, by the way, did you see that I did Tree of the Day from Cumbria? The yeah, it's very good. From your constituents. Yeah. I spotted the spot. Good. If you still represented a Cumbrian constituency, where would you stand on the new Cumbrian coal mine? And now that you don't, does your position differ? I think it probably does differ. So to put the history of it, 
there were a small number of people in my constituency who were very, very strongly against the coal mine, but the majority of people were very much in favour. Mm. And it was cross-party. Because of jobs? Jobs. Labour and Conservative, it's a relatively deprived area of West Cumbria, really struggling for economic activity, and has been for a long time. And the coal mine was going to create 500, I think, direct jobs, 1,500 indirect jobs. And so I would have been very unpopular with all my local councillors, and actually pretty unpopular with a lot of Labour voters, and most of the working class voters in my constituency, if I'd come out heavily against the company. So it, had you been an MP, you'd have been in favour, but now you're not, you're against. Uh, I do, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it is impossible to square with our climate obligations. It just doesn't make any sense. That coal mine is supposed to be running till nearly 2050, and we're supposed to be weaning off coal by the mid-2030s. And we're meant to be getting steel off coal, which is what this coal is used for. So it's a classic example of something. And, and it's also, I think it must be uncomfortable for Labour too, because remember, Labour was very, very associated with fighting to keep coal mines open. Absolutely. Which may be why there's a lot of Labour support for reopening that coal mine in Cumbria. Let's just, right, let's have a little break and then we'll come back. Welcome back to the Restless Politics Question Time with me, Rory Stewart. And me, Alistair Campbell. Question for you. Vicky Pales, listening to the anthems of other nations at the World Cup, has again highlighted how uninspiring, brackets musically, and out of date, lyrically, brackets, reign over us, God save the king is. Would you replace it? And what would you agree? It's a bit, bit of a droning song. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. I, I, one of my favourite Billy Connolly sketches was when he suggested replacing it with the theme tune from The Archers. <laughs> and what is, what is this particularly awful? You just think it's a very boring, draining, oh, it's draining dirty. It's, I think, I think the... It's a bit weird, isn't it? Because the Germans have like one of the greatest pieces of music ever. The French have an extraordinary... Italian, the Italians, the Russians. The Russians South are African amazing. Anthem, yeah. The American anthem's good. Yeah. And when you saw... Sorry to go on about the football, but when you saw, I mean, fair play, the England players were all booming it out, yeah. but they were struggling a bit. You saw the French, when they get to Marchand, <laughs> Marchand, I mean, it's, you know, it's proper. You're on the march. And I do think, I hate to say this, and Marina, if Marina Litvinenko was here now, she'd really give me one of those looks she gave me when we were talking about Tony Blair of Vladimir Putin. I mean, the Russian anthem is a bit special. So, so I think it would be, look, the Queen, RIP, God bless her, Charles, you know, they're trying to get what we've got Harry and Meghan doing the Netflix stuff. Why don't they're all family sort of lead the charge for a new national anthem and, well, and turn and it into they, a fantastic they, reality and TV potentially, show? Potentially, they could keep some of the same. There is no problem with saying God save the king, but you could have a better tune, couldn't you? Yeah, but also I think the ones that have, um, you could definitely have a better tune. I mean, my God, you just want to go to, I want to go to sleep when I hear it. And there's all this good, take a bit of Handel, take a bit of Bach. Oh, no, I think we're going to have a British composer, Rory. And for God's British. sake, we don't want the British... <laughs> for God's sake. I, th I honestly think a, a modern national anthem, get in some... Get a, get, citizen, get, get a citizen's get, assembly get, get. with Paul McCartney, Adele, Ed Sheeran, and, but, you know, and the, 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 really LS, a, the LSO. And you really think this should be local? You're not going to get in ABBA to do it. You've really decided this is going to be British-led. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Unless ABBA naturalised, which I don't think they will. They're, they're, they're very, very Swedish. Now, I, I had, let, 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 what about that? Let, let's just do this one, right? Hillary Newton, have Alistair and Rory watched the Harry and Meghan programmes? I'm a no. I'm a yes. Oh, wow. If so, does anything in the 
anything in it justify the bile and hatred being thrown at them by the British press? Why do the palace press officers continue to support papers who so debase British society and social cohesion? So you've watched it. Yeah, I, I watched the first episode. Um, I mean, I, I, it's a very difficult thing for me. On, on the one hand, um, I think that they, I, 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 I it's, it's, it's tricky. I mean, I, I feel for Prince Harry. Um, I think that, and he comes across in it as very um, broken and understandably very shaken up by his mother's death, by his relationship with the media. I mean, it, basically the program is about his hatred of how intrusive the media was in every element of his life. And one of the subtexts of it seems to be a sense that the royal family has felt for a long time that to maintain their position in British society, they almost need to be in the press all the time. Is, is, do, do you think that's, I mean, as somebody who really understands press, is that true? Is it actually true that to maintain their relevance and popularity, it is useful for them to be covered almost every day, not just once a year? Not necessarily every day, but I, th I think they, well, first of all, I think you're 100% right. And I've talked to him and to William about this. I think they, I think William hides it very well. I think they despise much of the British media and much of the world's media. Um, and I think it is a lot of it about, about their mother. I think they do feel, and that's why the Queen's death was planned to the extent that it was and the funeral and the, all that followed. I think they do feel that without that permanent sense of relevance and connection with the British people, that they, they feel very, very vulnerable. Right. Right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Do you feel this, and this is a question I've always wanted to ask, do, do you feel that it's true for you too that it's important for you personally as an individual, for your brand, as it were, to be in the media regularly, sort of in every week or so? What would happen if you vanished for six months? Would it affect how well-known you were or not? Or Yeah, probably, but I don't, I don't, I, don't, I mean, like, I'm, I'm thinking about a bit like you. I say no to way, way, way more things than I say yes to. But I, th I think, like, look, to be honest, this podcast is, given both of us a whole new kind of sense of a different sort of profile. I think now I see my, I see my profile developing through stuff, longer form stuff like books, films. Um, I don't feel the need to be in the papers at all. I don't care if I'm in the papers. I really have got no interest to be in the papers at all. Well, it's interesting. I've got colleagues like, um, I've mentioned some of Mark Francois, for example, was often in the newspaper, British, British MP, Brexit voting MP. But I felt that often they would be in the papers a lot, but people wouldn't necessarily particularly remember their names. I'm not sure the mm. MPs appearing occasionally in the papers. It's amazing, how, it's amazing how quickly MPs get forgotten as well. Uh, that's where you do need to kind of reinvent and do different things. I, I've noticed a lot of MPs who just, you know, I, I, I won't, I'm not going to say it because it's embarrassing, but I saw recently a member of our cabinet walking down the road. I was in, sitting watching them in a cafe and I walked, and literally nobody batted an eyelid. Mm. And not that long ago they were, Quite a senior cabinet minister. Question from Sally Davis, maybe to end. I don't know whether this is Dame Sally Davis, the great person who used to be the public health chief of England. It could be. Predecessor What's Chris Whitty. She says, I used to despise ironing. Ironing. I now listen to the rest of this politics podcast while ironing. So I now look actively forward to it, to the point that I even iron sheets so I can listen for longer. What examples do Rory and Alistair have of positive associations? Uh, initially, I thought she meant iron sheets in the sense of wriggly tin on a roof. No, she means on an ironing board. Yeah, she, or she an ironing board, as you <laughs> seem to think she calls it. <laughs> um, associations. I'll tell you, if I, the, when I ran the marathon in 2003, 
I don't know why this popped in my head when you asked the question. By the way, I don't think that is Sally Davis. I don't. Th- I think if she'd asked, I, I think Dame Sally Davis. She might ask that. I don't know. Uh, Dame, if it is Dame Sally Davis, ex of National Health Service, please let us know. And if it's not, please let us know a little bit more about your life, other than your ironing. But when I crossed the line, this shows you how marketing stuff works. Somebody put a can of Luca- a bottle of Lucasade into my hand. Very smart. And now, whenever I finish. I think you you want run. one of those. I want I want to drink a Lucasade. I yeah. wonder whether it's yeah. stuck in people's heads with sheets. Maybe that's the thing. I, do, I, do, I think the other thing I do is I I never I don't know if this is the same thing, but I once put my left shoe on before my right shoe. Yeah, and later that day I fell down the stairs. And now you never do it again. So since then I've always I will always put my right shoe on first. You can see that with footballers' country. You can see that with Harry Kane taking the penalty, that there were obviously some rituals to do with his socks and oh, yeah. stuff. I think they get these very, very big. And, and then, of course, the other thing I picked up, which must be your life all the time, is the sense which you as a viewer, in my case, sitting in Amman, Jordan, watching him on the screen, I begin to worry that something I'm doing in the room when I'm watching the screen oh. is going to affect his ability to get it into the goal. All yeah. the time. All the time. Which is quite mad because it's like it's, umpteen million people watching. No, it's totally insane. However. I'll tell you where I think it happens. So, like, here's one. Right, let's say you might have gone to the game. Yeah. Okay? So when they announced the crowd, Yeah. right, and they said tonight's attendance is 61,413, yeah. yeah. if you'd have gone, yeah. it would have been 61,414. Yeah. And one of the players might have reacted slightly differently on that piece of information to had it been one fewer. Ah. That's the kind of inactive butterfly effect. <laughs> I genuinely, look, I'll tell you the other thing. At Q- Queen's Park Rangers on Sunday when Burnley, because real football was back at the weekend, Rory, Burnley away at Queen's Park Rangers. And I went, I actually went with Charles Kennedy's son, Donald, who, unlike Charles, is quite a football fan. And, um, and I said to him, just before we scored our second goal, I said, I think if I put my gloves on, something might happen. <laughs> gloves went on, we scored. Unbelievable. Yeah. Right. Rory, I've got to tell you, and this is from Carl C, but your six-word description of why you're still a conservative went down. Very bad. If I can make five words, like a bag of sick. Yeah. Um, so you included tradition. Now, I've, I was a bit pissed off with that because – and the one that really pissed me off was landscape. Yeah. I've loved landscape all my life. So why do you think Tories – have a hold on this. And so he says, could you give some examples of British traditions you are particularly attached to and that you worry will be under threat when, says Carl, I think we know his political colours, when the Conservatives leave office? This is it's a really sensitive thing and it's a difficult thing. But if I think about why I became a Conservative rather than Labour, and I remember being teased by Tristram Hunt about it, it was a Labour MP. Basically, instinctively, my whole life, I grew up in a very different way, revering lots of bits of British history. I revered the monarchy, revered the British army, huge admiration for British history. And definitely, if I looked across the Labour benches and talked about the kind of books I read, the kind of films I watched, going with my father to Remembrance Day parades as a little eight-year-old standing there with my little red poppy on saluting, this wasn't the life of most of the Labour MPs across the aisle. And the things that I cared about, many of my uh, Tory MPs deeply romantic about British regiments, for example, about the abolition of the Black Watch. I didn't know any Labour MP who was 
deeply motivated by the question of whether or not the Black Watch was watched. Now, you might be a bit different. You had a brother in the Scots Guards, but it's the same. I just sort of feel that my emotional reaction to those things, like the monarchy, is, is different from the kind of emotional reaction. No, but the question the Carl's asking is, what, which of those traditions would go if the Conservatives weren't there? Well, what, what, I, th- I think, I think Labour are very committed to the military. I, funny enough, I don't know why, when you were speaking, Neil Kinnett popped into my head. And I can see Neil absolutely making speeches about that stuff. Yeah, I think thinking, he, well, he, he was very much, I mean, he, he instinctively. There's a very strong working class patriotic. patriotic. Yeah, but, but, that's not, but equally, that's obviously not the tradition of Jeremy Corbyn. Very much not. Mm. I mean, he definitely would not feel emotionally in the way that I do when I walk in the Remembrance Day. But as Mick Lynch reminded us on the radio this morning, Jeremy Corbyn's not the Prime Minister. No, he's, he's, he's definitely not mm. the Prime Minister. Mm. Um, so I think conservative, I mean, the clue is in the name that really we're about conserving things. And I think Labour has tended to... But do you still to... feel like you're a Tory? Do you still feel Tory? Well, I, I don't like this government, but I'm still on the old-fashioned, traditional, conserving side of things. I like... So when I talk about landscape, I'm talking about protecting and conserving what I love in the Cumbrian landscape. I'm, And this is where I disagree with people like Michael Gove. Michael Gove's, yeah, he's in the Conservative Party, but he's a radical. Mm. He's a radical Whiggish liberal. He's so here's time. one then, yeah. Chris Culpin. Rory List landscape is one of the reasons he's a Tory. I don't understand this. I love and understand the marvellous British landscape, but it doesn't come near to making me a Tory. Rather the reverse, because restrictive land ownership and capitalist farming have done so much damage to our landscapes. Well, that's again where, where I probably disagree. So the Cumbrian landscape that I love. What about land ownership, though? Come is, on. Well, it's part I mean, about, you know, part, part about land ownership. I, I love actually the patchwork of family-owned farms right the way across Cumbria. I love the combination of sheep pasture with wilderness. And I'm very, very suspicious. And I've gotten lots of trouble with this. In fact, someone's just written a book who was the RSPB attacking me for this with the rewilding movement, both on the right and on the left, and their attempt to transform the landscape into something it hasn't looked like for two and a half thousand years. Mm. One of, one of, I remember my cousin giving me a, a book, Who Owns Scotland? Uh, a few years ago. I don't know if you read it. Yeah, I, I've, I've got, got a copy of it. It's I all, bet it's you have. You're in it. It's all my neighbours. It's all my neighbours. It's just like, it's a very, very, very small number of very, 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 very wealthy people. Last um, one. Okay, last one. Part of the problem, this is George Clare, part of the problem in British politics is that the Prime Minister and Principal Secretaries of State must balance their work as government ministers with their work as MPs representing a geographical constituency. If we were to transition to a party list system, the PM could focus on the departments and delegate their parliamentary responsibilities and constituency matters to the next candidate duly elected on the list. The system already operates in successful democracies such as Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Would this work for the UK? Hmm. Similar question. Ols, been watching TV show Borgen recently, Danish political drama. Do you think the UK would benefit from a multi-party system which no one party can hold absolute power? Similar area. Um, I, I, I don't buy the idea that just because you're a minister, you can't be an MP. I mean, yes, it adds to the workload, but at the same time, I think it's a really, really important point of connection. And you have to be good at delegating and good at building systems and making sure you've got people keeping everything tracked for you. Um, so I guess deep down, that's a question from somebody who wants to change the electoral system. Well, I think it's also deep down from something that I felt with my constituents, which is they couldn't understand how you could have a full-time job as a constituency MP and then suddenly become a cabinet minister working full-time on running the health service. Mm. How could you have two full-time jobs? And the answer had to be that one or the other was going to have to suffer. You can't do everything. Mm. I think we should close with this one. John Thompson. Now, we can give very, this is a really complicated question, but I think we should give a one-sentence answer to it. You can only choose one of the following. 
which is it and why? Burnley gain promotion until 2030, which means they win the triple. Global extreme poverty eradicated. Carbon emissions at net zero or slightly negative. Global female education levels, the same as male. All populist charlatans are brought to justice. I'd go for Burnley. (laughs) You're lying. You're lying. Okay. (laughs) Let's leave it at that then. (laughs) 